banter at this Witty time. banter. Witty banter. <laughs> Welcome back to Center Ed Teaching special podcast series on Americana in partnership with the Mayor's Office One Book, One New York initiative. In today's podcast, the CPEP Book Club models how to have in-depth conversations on the topic of race in the book. To bring these conversations to life and respect all voices, each book club member collected his or her own quote from the novel on the subject of race to generate conversation. As you'll hear, the group tackles this challenging topic by framing the conversation around quotes from the book and with personal experience, which allows for broader discussion. Maybe even more important, this conversation demonstrates that sometimes the best book clubs are when members ask questions rather than always provide answers. Please enjoy the conversation and make sure to start your own. Thanks for coming back, you guys. Yeah. Week two of our Americana blogcast for the One Book, One New York project. Super excited to, to start in today. Uh, around the table, who do we have here? Me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Faith. You. I'm Faith. <laughs> it's me. Welcome back, Faith. Yep, thanks. Hi, I'm Marcel. Hi, Marcel. Welcome back. Thank you. Hey, y'all. I'm Brian. Brian. And I'm Roberta. Uh, we miss Hi, Courtney. Roberta. Bye, Courtney. Sorry you can't make it this time, but the, the podcast must go on. The book club <laughs> must go on. Um, last week, we talked a lot about... Uh, FMLU's journey going into America and the one of the things that really resonated with us towards the end of our conversation was about the blog posts mm-hmm. and and the the distinction between her narrative and the narrative about FMLU and then the voice in the blogs. So we wanted to dedicate this podcast to the blogs and we've each selected a blog post that we thought was particularly interesting to share for conversation. And I'll start with mine. Uh, mine's on page 374, and it's entitled, What's the Deal? Uh, <laughs> what is the deal? What is the deal? Uh, here it is. So what's the deal? They tell us that race is an invention, that there is more genetic variation between two black people than there is between a black person and a white person. Then they tell us that people have a worse kind of, that black people have a worse kind of breast cancer and get more mm-hmm. fibroids. And white folk get cystic fibrosis and and osteoporosis. So what's the deal, doctors in the house? Is race an invention or not? Hmm. <laughs> and so we got uh, two doctors in the house, not this kind of. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't know. I feel like this is, you know, I don't have any thing, but, you know, I think that, like, our culture invents all sorts of things that are, that are illusions that we think are real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think the idea that that race as something that actually can and should that that race is something that should distinguish people from one another is completely false. I think that that's completely an invention, and yet it happens every day. So then it's not mm-hmm. right. It's sort of right. like your the your the truth is your reality, or your perception is is your reality. Right. So the race theorist Stuart Hall will tell us that race is a social construct, right? And right. that it's a signifier. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting how I think society, and I grew up during apartheid South Africa, how these signifiers uh, become truth, right? These, these, these racial signifiers become truth and people start believing um, themselves into these roles and the identities that are shaped by whatever race has been 
signify to you. So like my birth certificate literally says Cape Colored. And I'm not that old. I'm only 47. So it's not mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's so long ago. Um, and then coming to the U.S., clearly the, the, the laws of, you know, people would say, oh, the civil rights movement is done and racism is over. But the, the laws that govern society in all its subtleties still mm-hmm. offer us these signifiers and mm-hmm. children are still mm-hmm. taught them in very subtle ways and adults still perpetuate these, these, these racist ideologies or whether we buy into them in subtle ways. And so it's interesting when people say, is it an invention or not? Absolutely. But we, we give it so much credence mm-hmm. um, as a thing. Yeah. And, and even when we are educated and even in, in experientially when we know that it's, it's not really a thing, we still give it that value of being worthy. And I guess my question to all of us is like, how do we not, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, I know that one of the things it keeps coming around in my mind over and over is any kind of form that I have to fill out where it asks for race. Mm. That's what it brings up for me. And I just think, um, how do other people do this? I feel like mm. when I read it, I always want to answer, like, mm. I do not want to answer this question. Mm. And... And maybe that's one way it feels like I handle it or yeah. try to try to address it in some way is just to say, okay, well, if it's a construct, then I'm, right. not, I'm not doing it. That's a hard thing for me because on the one hand, I feel like it will be a construct as long as we're talking about it, like as long as we're making it a construct. So sure. as long as yeah. we're saying, mm-hmm. what race are you, and check the box, and right. as long right. as we're comparing subgroups of kids and student achievement by race, right. you know, then, then it's going to continue to be something that divides us. And on the other hand, I feel like we have uh, 200 years right. Of, right. of oppression where people were really put down and not given full rights and full citizenship. So now if you're trying to right that wrong, you want to monitor to say, like, how are we doing? Then I can see how it, it could make sense right. to say we need to track it. I mean, we work in schools. Mm-hmm. I was just sitting down with the principal the other day looking at his state report data, the school state report data, and the report data showed you know, the difference between how Hispanic and Latino students are performing compared with black students, compared with white students, Mm -hmm. compared with Asian students. And, you know, I was like, this feels really strange to talk about. Also, it doesn't give us that much information because, because there's so much variety in like, what does black mean? (laughs) Right. And, And what kind of conclusions can you draw from just this really big lump label? And uh, I, I don't know, but I feel like it's the answer is not clear, right? right? Well, I, I think uh, an interesting thing that you said is if we keep talking about it, and uh, Marcella, I appreciate the way you took us to, to theory because part of the, the theory that I often think about is um, uh, how we try to understand reality. Mm. And uh, people would describe reality sometimes as having sort of like two overlapping and mutually informing um, aspects, a discursive reality, mm. so a reality mm. of things talked about, mm-hmm. and a material reality, right. a, a, a reality of physical existence and the way we describe the physical world with our language um, we we actually create the physical world by describing it in our right and but also like um, so that we have different skin colors is a material reality Mm -hmm. what it means is the discursive reality and that's where race comes into play so yes there are people with different skin colors, and there are, um, uh, you know, certain diseases like sickle cell trait, which are more common in African Americans or people of African descent. Right. Um, 
that the, that is a material reality. Right. But what those differences mean changes, mm-hmm. and that's why when I like to when we talk about race, I often like to sub in, and I learned this from teachers. Let's not say race. Let's say racialization, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the meaning of race yeah. is what causes so much trouble and drama as opposed to the actual existence of race yeah Yeah. and I think I want to clarify Mm. something that I said before which is if we talk about race then like then it becomes a problem I I actually think the opposite I think we should be talking about it more Mm -hmm. we should be talking about it more frankly more we were talking about yeah exactly frankly more candidly more openly more honestly I think that what I meant to say is about um making divisions um, along those lines, yeah. like purposeful divisions and, and sort of for the purpose of evaluation or for the purpose of, you know, and that's yeah. the thing that I, I'm yeah. not sure if that's helping us or I'm not sure if it's continuing to reinforce um, old old uh, negative thinking. Right, and I mean, like, a, an example of this, this situation that I was talking about is where the word Caucasian comes from mm-hmm. and um, this notion that there was this, uh, this phrenologist, a, a person who studied heads, mm-hmm. and he had a collection of skulls and he had one that he thought to be the most beautiful skull, and it was from a person from the country of Georgia in the Caucasus Mountains. So from, because this was from the Caucasus, these were Caucasians. And now, though, Caucasian is a thing that exists mm-hmm. in the world because some guy That's dreamt right. it up, That's and right. because he yeah. had the authority to get that language That's into right. the world, now it's a real material thing. Mm-hmm. The, our discourse created a material reality yes. as opposed to the other way around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just... What you're t- like, these are the frank conversations about racialization mm-hmm. that need to happen in order to say, what is it and what does it matter? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who would like to share next? I will go I to think. mine. I have several. <laughs> let me let me find the right. Okay, mine's short, so I think I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read it. Um, it's on page three ninety. Job vacancy in America. National arbiter in chief of who is racist. In America, racism exists, but racists are all gone. Racists belong to the past. Racists are the thin-lipped, mean white people in the movies about the civil rights era. Here's the thing. The manifestation of racism has changed, but the language has not. So, if you haven't lynched somebody, then you can't be called a racist. If you're not a blood-sucking monster, then you can't be called a racist. Somebody has to be able to say that racists are not monsters. They are people with loving families, regular folk who pay taxes. Somebody needs to get the job of deciding who is racist and who isn't. Or maybe it's time to just scrap the word racist, find something new, like racial disorder syndrome. And we could have a different, different categories for sufferers of this syndrome, like mild, medium, and acute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... What I mean, page is that on again? 390. 390. What, what struck you about that? I think that, I mean, what struck me when I read it was how um, perfectly, like, current it is. And <laughs> mm-hmm. definitely, like, the political climate mm-hmm. that we're in and talking about, you know, um, the divide. And, the, and I think a, a big thing that I hear is, is the, you voted for President Trump, you're a racist. I'm not a racist, even though I voted for President Trump. And then this sort of, um, you don't know you're a racist. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are a racist. You have to be a racist. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've been thinking a lot about uh, how to talk with someone about that. And, is there, and I have been thinking, is there a diff- how can I go 
go at it in a different way because obviously that word, I'm not a racist. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. I never owned anybody. Mm -hmm. I never, um, you know, hurt anybody. Um, I worked hard. I was poor, whatever the, whatever the thing is that, that then says, so I'm not, I don't, I don't do certain things that are racist. Yeah. It's definitely marked in a time, like in a, in our cultural time, yeah. in our in our timeline, yeah. and the idea of like, oh well, the racists have the KKK and the hoods and the yeah. the lynchings and right. the burnings, and we're past that time, and we had a black president, so right, so we're fine, right? Post race, post racial, post racial, right? Yeah. Well, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit recently. Uh, so I'm from New Orleans, and um, there's a big drama going on down there where the the mayor and the city council have decided uh, to um, remove moderate uh, moderates remove monuments to Confederate war heroes. Yes. Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, um, and even one to a thing that I didn't even know happened, where in the post construction, an integrated post reconstruction uh, government was uh, overthrown by white supremacists, essentially. Um, and that monument is coming down, and the argument is, are we trying to erase history? Yeah. Right. Um, and so a conversation about preserving history so that people can learn, but also not honoring people who did these horrible things. Yeah. And um, folk who are on the side of keep the monuments up say... I'm not a racist, but I'm proud to be a Southerner, mm. and I'm proud mm. of the Confederacy and Confederate heritage and history. Mm. And I personally have a hard time teasing out this moniker of Confederate heritage or Confederate history from the truly awful legacy of slavery yeah. and racism. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to separate those things, but people will make that claim and make that argument mm. all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this notion of what constitutes racism, anything short of putting on a white hood, mm-hmm. can do, some people would not even call that racism. Yeah. And by the way, right now we're only talking about like personal racism or individual mm-hmm. racist Indiv- people right. mm-hmm. as opposed to societal or structural racism, right. which yeah. is a, a whole different conversation. Yeah. I'm listening to you, Brian, and I'm, I'm wondering how how close that 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 margin is between racism and then or being racist and then a cultural heritage right, right. and like when people say oh i'm i'm proud of my confederate history or or the legacy that came from it i wonder and 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 i i don't have the answer to that i wonder if people can divorce the two from from each mm-hmm. other right and if it's able to say like i love southern culture i like the fact that men open doors for women you sure. know kind of thing and like how does or that a man provides for his family or you know that kind of thing as opposed to being something that's that's tied so heavily to to a to a, a racist and and violent past right mm-hmm. and so like how do you make those those distinctions and i i think even as as somebody who is black you're considered black here in the u.s but colored in south africa and like how the whole idea of colorism comes into play yeah, as well, for right? Sure. And so I've been told by people here that I'm light skinned, yeah. and like to me, I'm like, uh, no, I'm not, and my hair is kinky, right? And so mm-hmm. it's like, um, people say, oh, but it's different for you because you're light skinned, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm dark. Like mm-hmm. if you put me like I'm dark, and if you put me in the sun, I'll just become darker. Mm-hmm. So like for me, it's like it's hard to 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 understand 
how that colorism works here in the US, mm. but we also have it in my culture back home in South in, in South Africa where people because my children are one is dark much darker skin yeah. than than, <laughs> and than, than, than his brother. And I remember when my second child who is fairer skin was born, somebody said to us, Oh, now you have a beautiful child. Oh no. Right? No, 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 right? no. Okay, right? can we go back to that uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, definitely that's that no. So yeah. it's interesting how people like that the that, that whole questioning of, of you know, like what is racist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean the right. I don't know if I could take us to my blog post because this it dovetails pretty neatly what you're talking about with uh, colorism. Um, I'm on page two sixty five. And it's a rather long blog post, so I'll just I'll give an excerpt from it. Um, toward the bottom of 265, it says, You see, in American pop culture, beautiful dark women are invisible. The other group just as invisible as Asian men, but at least they get to be super smart. In movies, dark black women get to be the fat, nice mammy or the strong, sassy, sometimes scary sidekick standing by supportively. They get to dish out wisdom and attitude while the white woman finds love but they never get to be the hot woman, beautiful and desired and all. Mm. And this notion of what constitutes beauty mm. um, and what constitutes beauty in pop culture and then what are the ramifications when, we, when um, black women don't see black women mm. as objects of beauty, desire, mm. intelligence, mm. drive, mm. success, ambition... Um, uh, it makes me think of, you know, uh, the, the movie Hidden Figures mm. and what does it mean to have black women as protagonists? What does it mean to show black women having erotic desire, which uh, we also see with Ifemalu here, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the notion of, like, grades of coloration and mm. sort of um, uh, discrimination, maybe, mm-hmm. that, that, that goes along with that, um, even within communities within the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about, <laughs> and this sounds like a tangent, but as we're talking about the gradations of color, mm-hmm. that in for white people, all they want to do is be tan. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. And so you have this sort of, there's sort of like, it seems to be a perfect, a perfect shade that we're all sort of, that, that many people <laughs> whatever it is we're trying to get it, to right? yeah it to change like ourselves like Kim Kardashian or something like that mm. but um, it, I don't know I feel beside myself uh, frustrated by how such a insignificant thing has created so much like hurt and harm and continues to mm. like plague us in our like around the world because we're not just talking about in New York or in America. Right. We're talking yeah. about like yeah. globally. Right. In Asian cultures, it's very popular to try to be lighter, be lighter, be lighter. Mm. You know, there's great creams mm-hmm. and skin things and all sorts of things to get like the very light pale skin. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, is that just like colonialization mm-hmm. and that that mm-hmm. Europe was, you know, at a time in which there they sought a lot of power and that the the living in the world was about acquiring land and colonizing the you know mm-hmm. the rest of the half mm-hmm. of the world and so you ascribe to be the the, the person of the culture who has the power mm-hmm. and then they pick up and leave and we're sort of left with you know generation after generation of, of the thing about like ripples on the water it, I mean I, I keep thinking about how it affects us like uh, I guess on the ground or day to day or something like that around not being able to accept how we look or who we are. I mean, we have these, uh, whatever it is we're supposed to be 
people are aspiring to, whether mm-hmm. it's lighter skin. It made me think too um, about um, people as they age as well, right? I mean, there are things that you can buy about like mm-hmm. how your skin changes that way to stop the wrinkles and stuff like that. Um, like age spots or right. something. Mm-hmm. Still dealing right. with like this change in color mm-hmm. and like what it's right. supposed to be. Right. And what it says, I guess that's what it is, like what it says about you. Mm. That's the difference, like yeah. what you were talking about earlier, Brian, you know, ascribing something to it. If you're darker, it's if you're black and, and you're darker black, it says something about you, yeah. at, you know. Yeah. And that's the really extremely frustrating part mm. about, about so much pain that people go through, even right. in just in that way. Right. Um, yeah, and it's, I think it's all, the, you're right, Faith, it's all the narratives that go with it. If you're dark you must be slower and Mm -hmm. less able to do math and Mm -hmm. less able to articulate yourself well Mm -hmm. so I guess the darker you are the more of a deficit you have Mm -hmm. um, in terms of your ability to learn things or be taught things or your mental capability right according to this to this marker and so I guess that that's that's hard and I've heard it within my own culture and without right where people make these comparisons yeah, I remember in the um, I used to watch old reruns of Saturday Night Live, mm. and I can't remember what generation it was in, but it was it was either Garrett Morris in the first cast or Eddie Murphy, I think it was in the second cast, and there's sort of a talk show around Black History Month, and there's like, why is it that people think and they had like a a, a black scholar on mm. to the mm. interview, and it's like, why is it do you think that people think white people are smarter than black people? It's a good question. It may stem from the fact that light-skinned blacks are smarter than dark-skinned blacks. And he kind of goes on and yeah. unpacks that and like yeah. with a straight face. Yeah. And it was just one of the funniest pieces of satire I'd seen, even as a, mm. as a kid. I was mm. laughing mm. uncontrollably about that. But it's pervasive. It lasts. Right. And, and it's, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting, right? Because those are the narratives that are told. I remember post-apartheid getting a job um, at an all-Africana, all-white school. And... I was one of the first teachers of color at the school uh-huh. at that time, and that was in 2000, not, not long Whoa. ago. No, yeah. <laughs> not even long yeah. ago, right? Um, and I remember sitting, and I was grading, and the kids were coming up and bringing their books, like to be, like have notebooks checked mm-hmm. and whatever, and I felt the kids touch the back of my hair, and it was all boys, and mm-hmm. all white boys, and the one boy mm-hmm. touched my hair, and I said, what are you doing? And he said, why is your hair soft? And I said, what do you mean, why is my hair soft? Hair, hair is soft, everybody's hair is soft. And he said, well, my grandmother told me that all black people's hair, you know, feels like steel wool. Mm. And I said, well, my grandmother told me that all white men are dangerous and that I should be careful. And so all the white men in your family dangerous. And he said, no. And I said, Mm. so then maybe we have something to think about, right? In terms of like, what are these narratives that we tell tell ourselves and we tell each other and we tell our children and we perpetuate Mm -hmm. about other people. And like, what are the narratives around race as we build like a solidified conception of what it means to be black? or mm-hmm. white, or Asian, or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the, the labels yeah. are. And I we, we hear it in the U.S. as well. We hear it in New York City. Oh, the immigrants from this country are like this, mm-hmm. but the immigrants from these country, those are good people, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, what are the stories that are being told that differentiates one person's immigration experience to another person's mm-hmm. immigration experience mm-hmm. that makes one good and mm-hmm. one makes one bad? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it's interesting. And deeply disturbing. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> deeply, deeply disturbing on so many levels, too. I think, and so much of it, like, is it, Brian, is it in yours where they talk about wasps being, what are the, 
no, is that a separate one? That's in a separate one. I'd yeah. lo- I mean, I'd be yeah, happy to take well, us there, too. Could you just read that, that those lines? Because I, I had a thought about that that I feel like is connected. Yeah, on, on page 254, um, there's a, a, a longish um, blog post about um, how people of color are aspiring to be wasps, um, who, you know, obviously are the, the culture of power in the U.S. Um, and the last couple lines really stuck with me. So if everyone in America aspires to be wasps, then what do wasps aspire to? Does anyone know? Mm-hmm. And the reason why that stuck with me is so often um, whiteness is taken to be the norm yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, uh, mm-hmm. people of color, um, non-whiteness, um, as a catch-all awful category, um, uh, is to be other, mm-hmm. right? But then whiteness goes unexamined. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, like people uh, will sort of get into this notion of, of white studies as kind of and, and joke around about it like mm-hmm. ha, 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 everything's white studies but the going back to theory uh, your critical race theory uh, Marcel like critical white studies is right. really important right. w- like unpacking trying to define what whiteness is is right. critically important because right. otherwise we accept it as just a norm as that right. doesn't need to be talked that's about right. It's that's e- right it's, the, it's, it's just the baseline it's the right. base right. it's right. normal it's right. yeah exactly right. and so like um, and I've, and I've tried either. with students to have conversations about what does it mean to be white because people yeah. constantly want to have conversation yeah. about what it means to be black latino asian yeah. but what does it mean to be white is a question i think that needs to be right. asked especially by white people yeah but yeah. well, the the line there what do wasps aspire to i i feel like it's like to stay wasps mm-hmm. <laughs> to stay mm-hmm. in power mm-hmm. and and that like ascribing to a position of power and that's the colonialism and that's the idea mm-hmm. that like what well, what well, i have arrived here and i worked hard to get here mm-hmm. and i deserve it here yeah. and now i want to stay and you'll preserve and you'll do anything in your power which can be great to preserve that place, mm-hmm. um, to keep that, and mm-hmm. so you're going to keep those structures, you're going to keep those laws, you're going to, um, and and it's, it's not personal, right? I don't think that there's like one person who's like I'm up here and I'm trying to, but it is it is in groups and well there might be a few yeah <laughs> yeah, there, yeah there could be. Yeah. I'll take that. I'm going to walk that back. Yeah. I got some names I could give you. I'm going to let's pass on that. But um, <laughs> I, I, it is, it is in groups and it's, it's, it's really difficult to see when something is everywhere. The analogy that I like to give is there's a pond and there's a fish and a, a frog and a rock. And the, the frog says, how's the water? And the fish says, what water? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when you're in it all the time, you don't, it's real. It can be really hard yeah. to see, and you have to get out of it yeah. in order to see that perspective. Yeah. Which is why I think that having a wide range of experiences, getting out of the town you were born in, yeah. or or yeah. meeting people mm-hmm. from different places, or traveling, one of the reasons I think that New York City is such a place where immigrants flock to is because we literally live right on top of each other and right next to each other. There's no escaping people from mm-hmm. other cultures mm-hmm. when you're living in yeah. New York. And when you're around it all the time, you realize, like, oh, it's fine, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's just a different way right. of doing things. And a lot of the fear around difference um, begins to dissipate. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcel, do you want to share yours? Sure. So I have the, the blog post that's on page 367, and it's the one that's entitled A Michelle Obama. Shout out plus hair as a race metaphor. I guess we can't move away from the race metaphor mm-hmm. today. Um, and it, I'm going to read a little piece from it. So it says, White girlfriend and I are Michelle Obama groupies. So the other day I say to her, I wonder if Michelle Obama has a weave. 
Her hair looks fuller today, and all that heat every day must damage it. And she says, you mean her hair doesn't grow like that? <laughs> so is it me, or is that the perfect metaphor for race in America right there? Hair. Ever notice makeover shows on TV how the black woman has natural hair, which is like coarse and coily and kinky and curly, and in the ugly before picture and in the pretty after picture, somebody's taken a hot piece of metal and singed her hair straight. Mm. Some black women would rather run naked in the, st- in the street than become mm. out in public with their natural hair. Because you see, it's not professional, sophisticated, whatever. It's not just damn normal. Um, so please, commentators, don't tell me that it's the same as white people who don't who doesn't color their hair. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was really struck by it, by how... Um, I remember the first time on a beauty pageant, I saw a, a black woman with bone straight hair, and I was like, wonder how she gets mm. her hair like that? Mm-hmm. And it was long, and then my mom was like, oh, that's not her real hair. And I was mm. like, what do you mean? Mm. And <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it took me a minute. And so I love um, the question being asked, whether it's by Ifem or whether it's by... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shimamanda. Shimamanda. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, I was like, wait, wait how could, why could I not cry for a second there? Um, and like, what does it mean, right? Like this, this, this hair as, as a metaphor. And it's interesting how throughout my understanding of self, hair has played such a huge yeah. um, part. And I love the idea of hair as a, as a metaphor for race. It's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it takes me to a lot of different sort of like connections that I'd like to make. But the one that sort of sticks with me most is um, Richard Wright um, went to the uh, to a conference in Bandung, Indonesia in mm-hmm. the 50s. I think it was 53 or 54. And it was uh, basically people from what came to be called the third world mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. together to try to band together in a non-aligned movement to say we're not Americans, we're not Soviets, we're mm-hmm. others, we're yeah. non-aligned. Um, and there was a story which um, I believe is entitled Racial Shame at Bandung. And a white woman speaks to Richard Wright and says, I believe my roommate at the conference is practicing witchcraft. Mm. She has these weird ointments and powders and she creates small fires and blah, blah, blah. And what Richard Wright goes on to explain is, that woman is simply straightening her hair. Mm. It takes all of these different products. It takes her literally heating up a piece of steel, as Marcel just Mm -hmm. said, to straighten out her hair in order to be accepted. Yet... So we have this white woman's misunderstanding, but perhaps more interesting, as Richard Wright gets into, is the fact that here is a woman of color at a conference mm-hmm. of people of color who are trying to yeah. like mm-hmm. set a, an mm-hmm. agenda of self-determination, yet she still feels compelled mm-hmm. to straighten her hair. Mm-hmm. Now, we can tease out whether or not she feels compelled or it's her own agency that she just wants to have mm-hmm. the straightened mm-hmm. hair. Mm-hmm. But right. nevertheless, it, it kind of stands out to me, mm-hmm. this, um, and I think about Chris Rock's movie Good Hair yeah. where he explores mm-hmm. what what is black mm-hmm. hair yeah. um, and I think I think he is he, he took his inspiration that from uh, the Obamas yes. from from yeah. uh, Michelle and Sasha and Malia so this notion of good hair and um, what hair is natural right. and mm-hmm. you know and how much work it takes right. to for for what white people would consider to be natural hair mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so I mean the, the the whole hair conversation that runs throughout this book is yeah. just um, just is fascinating really powerful Um, as we close today what is sort of jumping out at you or I mean we're kind of round and around and we have Mm -hmm. we're like-minded you know I think that that's fair to say Um, is there anything to you know do are we I don't know I just feel like 
Okay, so wow, like well, it's really hard out there, you guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, um, but just any sort of th- closing thoughts or hopes or action steps or? I think something, Brian, that you said stuck with me around like how you ask the kids in your class or the people who you teach, like what does it mean to be white? I was at a conference this past weekend and one of the presenters is, is pretty... Um, notorious for some of the outrageous things that he says and so people are around race specifically and one thing that he said though that really stuck with me was like whiteness is bad for white people too yes right and I I think that I am still so hopeful about this whole race thing because I watch my kids and they're like 17 Mm -hmm. 18 I feel like they have a different understanding around race I think I think when when people say things like our hope is in the youth. I think yeah. that that's a very real thing. Yeah, I thought that too when in my generation, and then I see people who are my age, right? Who have different perspectives, and they're not there. And but so it makes me wonder. But I wonder what regions, right? Makes me wonder regions, around, around regions and around that those yeah. exposures. But I want to agree with you that like in my family too, like in conversations with my son who's who's biracial, like. He just sort of we I we talk about things every once in a while and he just sort of looks at me like what? what? Yeah. <laughs> why would anyone think that? Why would right. why is that how is that right. a thing? Like and, yeah. and, and yeah. it sort of blows his mind yeah. that, that that would even happen. Yeah. I told my I told I told my, my youngest child the other night, I said, Well, you know, there there are like a bunch of white girls with their perspective and he said, That's an incredibly racist thing to say, you don't know them. Mm-hmm. And I and I was checked because he's right. I don't know them, mm-hmm. and so I don't mm-hmm. know what their their stance within whiteness or mm-hmm. blackness or yeah. race mm-hmm. is, and so I have no right to say those things. And he's right, right? And so I listen to how they are seventeen and how they navigate the concept of race and how it's different for them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm hopeful that they can teach us lessons because I think as we become older, we become jaded by negative experiences that we've had um, on on either side of the fence, and so it's it's hard to navigate. That, that understanding um, so I hope I see it in, in schools too I, I love when, I, when I'm in schools now and, and even just like race and hair and how kids of colour girls of colour especially are just letting their natural hair grow yeah. and so there's mm-hmm. like a, a level of pride coming into the, yeah. the mm-hmm. natural mm-hmm. kinky curly hair which yeah. is beautiful and you know that it'll I think it'll change the shape of, of how people allow other people to treat yeah. them and how they allow other people to speak to them and so it's a long process it's a hard process and mm-hmm. it's one where where we take steps back so often but I think I hope I pray that we're moving step by step towards a, a better a better world a world yeah. racially yeah. yeah I think in you know, I mentioned like next steps um, I think the most important next step and I try to do this as often as I can is for white people to talk to other white people about yeah, race right. right because sure it makes sense that a person of color is going to bring up and talk about race mm-hmm. because yeah. it's a thing that they live so tr- so powerfully all the time but white people don't have to live their race so they don't have to think about their race mm-hmm. so to the extent that we can engage other white people in conversation about race, what it means, the history, the future, like, you know, to, to you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's on us as white people to talk to other people about whiteness and race in general. I think that's such a good point, Brian, because I often think about in social media or when politics are really heavy or 
uh, you know, when there's a, a certain social event that's happening and a lot of people are talking about it, and I, I'll sometimes hear, oh, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you can turn it right. off and it's not going to impact your life, that, that, that somebody can be killed by the police, that someone can be, um, mm-hmm. you know, hurt or beaten up and it doesn't impact me, um, is a place of privilege. And the, the idea that you can opt in to a conversation right. as opposed to not being able to opt out of a conversation Absolutely. is right. a real marker. Right. And I think that, you know, for, for people who are interested in talking about this or interested in being self-reflective, thinking about the, the times when I, ha- when I have the privilege to decide whether or not I want to have the conversation, mm. if I have the privilege to decide whether or not I'm going to, whether or not this situation can impact my life, that 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 in it in and of itself is a privilege. I mean, the idea that you can choose that some people can choose to um, not engage, because I, I think it's so important to be telling um, each other that. Guess what? You get engaged. Some people they are engaged, and they give, do not get to say no. I disengage now. That, that that's not that's not a thing for them at all. And I think Brian, what you were saying just make it makes me think about um, you know we have to be who we are in the world mm-hmm. and can't like pretend to be someone else or, pre- mm-hmm. but who we are in the world. And so who are the people that I'm around? Who's my family mm-hmm. from the South who have some of those things that are like, on the one hand I'll stand up for, Hey, you don't, don't just cause someone's Southern. You can't say that kind of thing. Yeah. On the other hand, I know that there, that we do talk and I do have family members that say, Hey, that flag stays there. That's part of our history, and here's why. And to continue to talk through that and about that and mm-hmm. and try to understand, but also say, and also I want you to understand me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, one more podcast to go, and we'll uh, close out the rest of the book. But until then, happy reading. All right. Bye, y'all.